What's up, everybody? It's good to see you. How's everybody today? Two of us are good. All right. Well, Merry Christmas time. My name's Kelly. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Southlands, and it is so great to be with you this morning. Uh, just want to just re-highlight the uh, Christmas Eve, if there's any confusion. Um, we are doing a candlelight service on the Sunday night, and Christmas Eve falls on a Monday, which is kind of funky for the weekend. And so what we're going to do is we're going um, to c- collaborate, we're going to congeal, we're going to Condense. I'm trying to think of all the C words that we can, uh, Sunday night, and there won't be a Sunday morning gathering that day because we figured Sunday morning and then Sunday night and then Monday, so let's just all put it together. We'll do one Sunday night gathering. And here's the thing, um, if you were here with us last year, you remember probably a lot of your friends and family came, and uh, on Christmas Eve, there's two times of the year that where people who don't normally go to church will go to church, right? It's Christmas Eve and it's Easter. And so my encouragement to us as a community is invite the heck out of everybody. Um, and so people will come. It's really easy to say, hey, you want to come with ch- to church with me to Christmas Eve? And they're like, yeah, I'll go. And you'll be surprised. Wow, this person said yes. It's, it's pretty easy because uh, normally people will come on Christmas Eve. The kids are going to sing a little song up here. Grannies and grandpas are all going to think it's so cute and all that kind of stuff. And, and uh, we'll end it with candlelight. Um, and uh, we promise if you don't wear a lot of hairspray, your hair won't catch on fire or anything like that. That's actually happened before. Um, so it's going to be a great evening. I want to encourage you, invite your friends and family. Invite somebody who uh, may not normally go to church and have them come out and you'll be surprised that they'll say yes, okay? Um, We're taking a little break this morning from our uh, Matthew sermon series. This this time of the year traditionally is is what's called Advent. And uh, if you didn't grow up in church or you don't speak Latin, um, Advent, most of us go, oh, that's like the, the chocolate calendar thing that I get to open up and it's like, what's going to be in there today, right? And there's, there's like a, always a disappointing little chocolate that tastes like wax or something. Um, and Advent is so much more than this little calendar that we put up on the wall. Advent is this Latin word for longing. And uh, traditionally why the church celebrates this time of Advent is because it's a time where we mirror What the nation of Israel was doing is longing for a Messiah, longing for a Savior to come. And uh, we're going to, so we're going to take a little break this morning from Matthew, and uh, we're going to, we're do a little couple weeks of Advent that leads us into our Christmas Eve service. So here is my proposal and my suggestion for us this morning, or maybe my, my, my little bit of truth that I want to share on you. You know, man has been on the planet, arguably, for thousands and thousands of years, depending if you're a new earth person, old earth person, whatever you grew up in, all those kind of stuff, you, you know, but I would, I'm kind of lean towards the new earth, okay, don't judge me, all right, it's all right, um, but arguably, we've been around for thousands of years, and over these thousands of years, um, we haven't grown in intellect, but we've grown in knowledge, right? I mean, um, I was thinking about I don't know why I was thinking about this in the shower the other day, but this is just odd things that run through my house. Thinking about the, the, the discover, discovering of penicillin, 
right? And I was thinking to myself, man, if I lived like 300 years ago, can I just like grow some mold on bread and then eat it? Would that be penicillin? How do you discover penicillin, right? And penicillin, we all know today, is it's the antibiotic we all take that saves us from tons of diseases uh, over the, the earth, and many people's lives were changed because of this discovery of penicillin. I mean, there's so many things that we are the better for today because of all the things that we've grown in intellect and, or in knowledge, right? Like, uh, I have a, an Apple Watch, and I can actually have a conversation with somebody on the other side of the world on my watch. Like, I know those of us who are like 20 and younger go, uh, big deal, what's the, you know, like... I still grew up in the age where you had to pull this big, giant, clunky thing off. It was connected to a wire. And then you had this rotary dial, and it goes, that's called a telephone, okay? Before the telephone, there was this little, it's called a Morse code thing. Um, and I mean, but nowadays I could just speak to him, and I can't even say, like, I can, it has a name, and I can talk to it and tell it to do something, and it'll do it. I'll say like, hey, call Marianne, and it'll call Marianne. I don't even have to touch anything. It's crazy, right? I mean, I don't know, whatever. I think this stuff's amazing. Mind-blowing. Mind Yet, here's the problem. With all of our technological advancements, with all of our living longer because of medicine, and I mean, they could, I saw a thing where this person swallowed a pill, and the pill had a robot in it, and the robot went down inside the stomach and found this foreign object and brought it back out of the person. Right? I mean, we're, this, we're in the future, guys, right? But with all of this amazing stuff that's happening in our day and age, we still, the world's a hot mess. It's a hot mess. I mean, you think about all the things that are taking place. I mean, have you ever experienced so much political upheaval in our nation? So much division, so much like name calling and so much like partisan sides. And, and have you ever experienced so many times in the, in, where you hear news of so many, I think it's just, just happened in Alaska where the ground opens up and shakes and people are swallowed in and, and just tsunamis taking out whole villages and just the world is in chaos. And no matter how smart we get, no matter how much information we get, no matter how much we study all these things, no matter how, how much smaller my watch can get, you know, I might be able to just think about calling somebody in the future and it'll happen. I don't know. All these things, we think we're getting better, we think we're getting better, but the reality is there's still a problem in the world. There's still the reality of sin. There's still the reality of brokenness that we live with every single day that we're confronted with. I heard a statistic this week that the CDC in Atlanta released about uh, the rate of suicide in our nation. We are at an all-time high of rate of suicide. Uh, what, what's the number here? 47,000 people took their own lives last year. And you would think all these things that we have to make ourselves better and to, to give us meaning and to make life easier and all these robots doing all our tasks, we think we'd be less busy, you think we'd be less stressed out, you think we'd have more peace in our lives, but yet it's quite the opposite. Isn't that true? There's something missing 
in our lives. There's, there's a missing piece and that's play on words, right? Like the peace of God, P-E-A-C-E. There's missing peace in our lives, even though we have all this great stuff at our fingertips. The beauty of this time of the year is that we remember that peace came in a time that was not too dissimilar to what we're facing today. I think when Jesus came on the scene, when he was born a man, it was probably one of the most unpeaceful times that our planet had ever faced. Uh, the, uh, Jesus was born into a time under Caesar Augustus, and Caesar was the ruling man of the, the known world at the time, and he had this implementation that he was trying to implement peace. It was called uh, Pax Romana, and that was the, the peace of Rome. And, and the idea was we will have peace through strength. And the more nations that we conquer, the more people that we take over, we will bring peace to the world. Uh, this was a time where uh, Herod was ruling in Jerusalem. He was this puppet king uh, and he was a tyrant. And he was hell-bent on killing anybody who got in his way. And we remember this story when Jesus is born during this time. He hears about it from the three wise men. And he says, oh, let me go and worship too. But he really wants to kill Jesus because Jesus threatens his kingdom and he ends up killing a bunch of babies. And then also you, you might remember during this time there was a, a young girl by the name of Mary who had probably a very unexpected pregnancy who was told she had to travel hundreds of miles away on a donkey while she was fully pregnant. I don't know how you're less pregnant, but she's about to give birth. I mean, Brittany Collins this morning, we got a call, right? She's, they're at the hospital this morning. I don't know if the baby's been born or not. Uh, going through some, I would assume, some discomfort, right? Ladies who've ever given birth. I don't know what it's like, so it seems easy. I was asleep on the couch, but I'm just kidding. Whoa! I'm going to be sleeping on the couch later. So that's a joke. But Jesus comes into the time of the world where there is utter chaos, utter upheaval. And I would assume that people 2,000 years ago would have thought, man, we are at the height of humanity. Look at, we can, we can like make fire really easy. I just strike this little rock and boof, woof. Look how amazing we are. We have these medicines. We have all these things at our fingertips. Yet the world's not getting better for some reason. And Jesus comes in. The angel says this to the shepherds. He says, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So what I want us to do this morning is look at this idea of peace and unpackage it because I, I think I talked with a couple people this morning. I said, hey, how's it going? And they're like, man, this has been one of the roughest weeks I've ever experienced, one of the roughest season. You know, like Thanksgiving, all, all hell was breaking loose. Like, no, no, it's Thanksgiving time. It's supposed to be like, Enjoying turkey and pumpkin pie and all these good things and friends and family coming over for cocoa. No, don't tell me that, you know, the, your, your, your house water broke all over and flooded your house. No, 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 we don't want to hear that, right? So this idea of peace, what does peace really mean? So I'm so glad you guys asked that question. What is peace? Um, often what we think of is peace is this idea of like absence of, you know, like if I think I want peace in my home, 
I want my kids to be quiet, right? Like, the, I have four children. Uh, it's like the comic family circus in my house sometimes. Uh, and it's just chaos. Last night, the boys were running around and doing what boys do, like shooting at each other, making noises, laying on each other, crying. He hurt me, all this kind of stuff, right? And I'm just like, shut up! <laughs> it was Sam. It was Sam was crying. <laughs> and as a dad... I want peace in my home, and so I think if the kids are just quiet, there's going to be peace. Or, you know, we think of peace in the world as this understanding of like, whoa, you know, Palestine and Israel, they they got together and they shook hands at Camp David, and wow, this is a historic moment in the world, and every camera's on it, and it hits every single newspaper. There's peace in the Middle East, right? When we know that lasts for like a week or something. And we often think of peace as the absence of loud noise or no one's bugging us or these kind of things, but the Bible has a different understanding of what real peace is, even though peace can be the absence of war. When the Bible speaks about peace, it's this word in the Hebrew, which is, you probably heard the shalom. If you've been around like a Jewish culture or a Jewish person, they greet you with this word of shalom. It's kind of like uh, when you go to Hawaii, it's like aloha. You say aloha for hello and you say aloha for goodbye, Right? Or if you're in Italy, you say ciao, which is hello and goodbye. It's the same thing. Well, in the Hebrew understanding, you would greet someone with this greeting of shalom. And that didn't mean the absence of loud noise in your, voice, in your life. That didn't mean your kids are all behaved and not running around. They're all like Edelweiss sitting in a, in a row when you call them, you know. The idea of shalom, the biblical understanding of peace, is a completeness, is a wholeness. Um, so just to give you some context here, if, if you were living in a biblical era and maybe you owned a cattle or a cow or a sheep or something and it wandered into your neighbor's field and it destroyed some of their crops by accident, you could come back and offer them shalom by giving them some money and and offering to grow their crops back for them. Because what you're doing is you're offering to complete what was broken. Or if you had a wall around your perimeter and, you know, some of the bricks were out of place in your wall, well, you could shalom your wall by making sure that every single part of your wall was complete and whole. Uh, we think of Job in the Bible. He, he speaks about his shalom because he, he counted all his flocks and he said there was none missing. I have shalom. Or, or David, when he visited his brothers on the battlefield, when they were facing the Philistines, he, he asks his brothers, how is your shalom? How is your wholeness? How is your completeness in your life? And see, it's such a different understanding of this word peace that we often so flippantly as Americans say, hey, are you having some peace? And it's like, hmm, let me think about that. Are my kids behaving? Is everything going right? Uh, do, is anyone yelling at me? You know, I'm about to get some peace. I'm going to go on vacation. Then I'll get some real peace. And the Bible doesn't say that peace is based on those kind of circumstances. Numbers, well, let me, let me, let me stop here. I, I, the idea of the shalom of God, the idea of the peace of God was always the plan from the beginning. The problem is that we don't feel that every day, right? But it was always the plan. If you look back to the Garden of Eden, it says that God himself walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day in the garden. Isn't that amazing? Walk with God intimately. This 
perfect, unbroken relationship with God, that sin hadn't come yet into the world and destroyed this plan. Uh, Numbers 6 says this in verse 24 through 26. This would have been a a rabbi prayer for people. Uh, We see this as a priestly prayer from Aaron over the people. It says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, give you shalom. See, this was the plan from the very beginning. This is the plan for us here in Chino, that the shalom of God would be distributed in our lives and through our lives to the people around us, into our neighborhoods, that we would see the shalom of God resting in Chino into our neighborhoods. This was the plan from the beginning. This was the plan for our nation from the beginning, that we would see the shalom of God in our nation, that we would see the shalom of God on this planet, right? But here's the plot. Bum, 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 right? We all know that peace was broken. Something went wrong with peace. Peace was the plan, but peace was broken. Where we once had perfect shalom with God, there is now destruction because of sin. So Adam and Eve, you can say thank you, great, great grandpa, grandpa and grandma. Thanks for messing it up. Because I wouldn't have messed it up, but you messed it up, right? And we're all living in a world that is broken. Um, we all experience this every day. We talked about some of the things that we're going through, but I just had to put brakes on my car and tires, no shalom in my car. <laughs> now, the problem with two of those things is nobody looks at my car and goes, did you get new brakes? <laughs> Whoa, look at those brand new tires. Yeah, it's like if I'm going to spend 400 bucks, I at least want someone to go, wow, that's amazing, right? <laughs> nobody does that when you buy that kind of stuff. But the reality is that everything breaks down. For those science nerds around us, it's called the second law of thermodynamics. And this is also a refute against evolution. Evolution says everything gets better, right? We go from one degree of getting better to the next degree, and this creature will turn into this creature, and it'll get stronger and stronger. That's a bunch of baloney. The second law of thermodynamics just proves everything just breaks down. And my car is evidence of breaking down. I wish I could find a magic brake pad or tires that would reverse the law of second uh, thermodynamics. Somehow, Kelly Monaghan has figured it out. He's never going to have to pay for brakes and tires again. Amen. Amen. But the world doesn't work that way. And this destruction causes us to yearn for something. It causes us to want this broken peace to be fixed so that we can just say, God, please, I don't want to have to pay for this, and I, I don't want to have to deal with this broken relationship, and I, and I, I don't want to have to fix this thing in my family, and I, I don't want to have to, like, Lord, please come back. Lord, I need your peace into this situation. Don't you guys yearn for that? For a, for a time in life where we see the shalom of God, our wholeness of our life, where everything is as it should be, where everything, when we're not worried about like whether this is going to break down or we're worried about this kind of relationship or we're worried about, you know, maybe the fi- our bank account is not what we, where we feel it should be. God, please come. Restore your shalom in my life. 
And these are such like shallow things, right? These aren't the things that we actually should long for. And that's what this season's about. That's why we celebrate Advent. The things in this world that break down should make us long for wholeness, should make us long for a Savior, should make us long for the one who can make all these things right, who should fix our eyes on the one who should make, if we look at our, the situations in our life, we say, man, there's a brick out of place here and there's a, there's a stone out of place here and it's, man, I want that to be fixed. And so that longing should long, make us long for the only one who can do that. The Bible says that all of creation groans like a woman in birth for the wholeness of shalom. Brittany Collins again. I don't maybe she's like right now. I don't know what she's doing. Was that inappropriate? Sorry guys. Okay. <laughs> but you watch the movie and the ladies is like, I mean, every time we watch a birth scene in a movie, Marianne's like, "Oh, I remember that. Oh, oh Lord Jesus. Oh God." And I don't understand that feeling. But the Bible speaks about about this pregnancy and this birth and it's about to come out in the pain. It's like, oh, Lord, please let this, let, this, let this baby come out and let me see the fruit of it. And I think Marianne would say, and probably you moms would say, oh, this little baby was worth the pain that I went through. All the groaning, all the longing, all the anticipation. When I hold this little infant in my arms, it was worth all of that. So how can the peace, how can the shalom of God be restored to humanity? Now, here's, here's the contrast this morning. The shalom of God will never be restored to you through your circumstances. No matter how many ducks you have in a row in life, no matter how much your 401k is padded and it's, it's set up, you know, we're, we're going to attempt to do Dave Ramsey's um, Financial Peace University, right? And we're going to be doing that in, in, uh, in January. And I want to encourage you guys to jump on board that. And we're looking at the steps and I'm thinking, okay, you know, step one is this, step two is this, step three is this, step four. And it, you may be an FPU expert and you could teach Dave Ramsey stuff and you're like, man, I got this down, my bank account. Like, come on, Dave Ramsey, do an audit. Look at my account. You'll be so proud, Right? You may be the best financial peace, you were whatever person you are. That still cannot give you shalom. Your car may have brand new brakes on it, brand new tires, oil changed, everything is like, woo, the engine light's not on, I'm winning today, yes. And still the shalom of God can be absent. You may have all your Christmas shopping done already. You're ahead of the curve. You're, you've already done everything online. You didn't have to do Black Friday. You didn't have to f face the crowds. And you're feeling like, ooh, I'm ahead. But yet, the shalom of God is not based on that. The shalom of God is not based on every relationship that you have being perfect. The shalom of God is not based on how centered you are as a human or how, how perfect and you're making yourself a better version of yourself, all these kind of things. And your Instagram feed is like blowing up and everybody's like trying to model after your life and woo, look at that person, wow. And still in the midst of all this stuff that society 
seeks the shalom of God can be absent from our lives. Right? I'm experiencing this. I see areas in my life where I'm like, God, please restore. Please bring wholeness. This is what the Bible says about the shalom of God. If you have your Bible, turn to Isaiah chapter 9. And we're going to read verses 2 through 7. This is quite a popular portion of Scripture that churches read on Advent time, but it's so appropriate. The prophet Isaiah is prophesying about a Messiah to come, about a one who will rescue Israel from their season of non-peace. And this is what he says in verse 2 of chapter 9. The people, speaking of Israel, who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Verse six, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. We're saying this this morning. Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. See, the problem that we face is not necessarily the stuff breaking down, is not bricks in our wall missing, it's not that we don't have our financial ducks in a row. All those things are good to have, but the problem that we face is that often what we do is we base our shalom on something other than the Prince of Peace. What we do is we measure our shalom in our lives, our wholeness, our completeness. Everything is right in the world based on these circumstances. And the reality is, friends, that circumstances will always let us down, right? The beauty is that print, the peace is a person. It's not things, it's not stuff, it's not circumstances. Peace is a person, it's the person of Jesus. And I, I went and I found this, um, this olive branch this morning. And um, actually, I was like driving around, I was like, where am I going to find an olive branch? I don't know any olive trees in, in uh, Chino. And I turned the corner and then somebody's right here on the corner, neighbor's yard has an olive tree growing in there. And I go, ugh. Should I get out and grab it? They won't even know, all right? So if that's your house, thank you so much for this olive branch. But for most of us, when we see an olive branch or understand the word olive branch, is we understand that there's been this giving of peace, right? 
And uh, if you know the United Nations, you see the, the world kind of drawn out. And around the, around the United Nations is two olive branches, I think, uh, underneath it, uh, cradling the nations. And you know where that comes from? It comes from the Bible. See, in the, in the book of Genesis, God, because of the sin of man, he destroys a wicked generation on the earth. And Noah in his family, God gives him this means of grace through the ark. And all the animals are in the ark. And as the rains subside, Noah brings a dove out and he sends a dove and it flies out. And this dove comes back with an olive branch in its beak, right? And we see that. What's happening? Something's frying over there. Okay. Never mind that candle. It's just on fire. It's okay. Um, we see this dove is coming back as offering a peace between man and God. It's the sign that everything's okay. This broken relationship between sinful man and holy God has now been restored because of this olive branch that's come back. But that's not the only time that we see an olive branch. We see also Jesus praying under an olive branch in the Garden of Gethsemane. And it's a moment in history where Jesus says, Father, I know that there is enmity between you and humanity. Father, I know that the relationship with, with you and people is broken. And so therefore, I say, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And he prays this prayer under an olive branch. And the beauty about peace this morning, friends, is that we have peace personified. We have peace given to us in the gift of a little baby who grew up to be a man who surrendered his life for us so that the shalom of God could be restored to a broken relationship. And Again, I want to challenge us this morning and say, is there something else that you're putting your shalom in? Are you hoping this year that that one relationship will be restored between you and a family member? Are you hoping this year that that bonus that you might get from your work might like fulfill the void that you've been feeling and you're going to get that one gift or that one vacation or maybe it'll help you get this financially ahead or whatever it is, all the things and all the circumstances and the relationships that we put our hope in anything other than the shalom of Jesus. Because nothing else will satisfy other than Jesus. Nothing else will give you wholeness. Nothing else will restore your broken walls other than the person of Christ. And when Isaiah prophesies and says, his name will be wonderful, mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, we would do well to put our hope in that person. Amen? I'm going to just end with this this morning. And I think it would be good for us to respond. We're going to sing a song. We're going to take communion in peace. The person of peace. Will you just stand with me this morning?